study of John. I have here uh, the final for now versions of the uh, the breakdowns, so if you can take one and pass them around. Um, I do have a technical glitch on it. As you can see, I messed up the arrows at the uh, at one of the higher uh, tiers, uh, but it is uh, legible anyway, so... Um, if I, if I ever print it out again, I'll fix that. Um, so we are going into chapter 21, uh, the last chapter of, of John. Uh, but before we do this, I would like to touch on one other thing. Thank you all. And uh, I'll, I'll put whatever's left over, I'll put in the office in case somebody needs another one or, you know, somebody who could use one. Uh, I'd like to touch on one other thing from chapter 20, uh, which we didn't get to last time, and that is the event with Thomas. Um, And, of course, uh, I'll read, I'll just read just verse 25. Uh, The other disciples, uh, Thomas had not been there when Jesus uh, revealed himself after the resurrection. So the the other disciples, therefore, said to him, we have seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of, the, of uh, his side of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So this uh, Thomas's doubt here is uh, uh, and then his change to belief after he does see the risen Christ is a parallel to Nathaniel's doubt and belief at the beginning of the gospel. That was at the end of chapter 1. Um, and I'll just read you 149. After, after, uh, after uh, uh, Nathaniel had said, Can any good thing come out of uh, Nazareth? And he encounters Jesus. His response is, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And compare, compare that to uh, Thomas's response uh, in verse 28 of chapter 20. My Lord and my God. <laughs> so it's, it's belief, uh, in both cases, it's belief changed to, or uh, uh, doubt and unbelief changed to utter belief. Um, and uh, you may remember in chapter 1, after Nathaniel uh, makes his statement about Christ, he, uh, uh, Jesus tells him, you will see greater things than this. And this is one of those greater things. Uh, Thomas is uh, uh, witnessing the risen Christ. And so what Jesus is doing, and Jesus offers... Thomas the opportunity to go yeah go ahead and stick your fingers and your hands in my in my wounds uh, so he is offering Thomas a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality and that spiritual reality is his victory over death and this is Christus Victor 
Uh, this, it's one of the oldest uh, views of the atonement that the church has, and it's you know it's Christ's victory over uh, the forces of evil, over uh, death, which is the penalty of sin. Uh, so, I mean, he has defeated everything, and he has risen victorious. Uh, and this is all, you know, related to Christ crucified before the foundation of the world. Uh, this was all a spiritual reality, even before the physical demonstration of it. And so this then becomes one of the links between John's gospel and John's writings in, in Revelation. Uh, so the, the, two, the two books of John's writings are, are very uh, um, connected. And it sort of draws the curtain open on the epilogue, which is chapter 21. Uh, so what happens in chapter 21? Can anybody like to summarize it? Yeah, you've got what what we have here is a bunch of kind of small little events, but in general, what they're doing is just kind of hanging out. This is just life, just life uh, as it goes along. Except for Christ is there, all of a sudden Christ uh, uh, comes up. Uh, now, uh, uh, so this is an epilogue, and what we do. But Jesus has spent some time in the gospel talking about himself as the good shepherd. And he uh, basically fulfilled that uh, in this statement in chapter 17, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the script might, scripture might be fulfilled. He has fulfilled his duty as a good shepherd. He has kept all of his sheep. Uh, but now he is in his glory. He has returned to the glory uh, that he had before time with his father. So the theme here in the epilogue is Jesus, the great shepherd. Okay, so this is not a real common phrase, but we can find it in scripture. Uh, does anybody know where? The great shepherd. The great shepherd of the sheep, Hebrews. Exactly. <laughs> do you, you do you, do you have it memorized by any chance? It's it's chapter thirteen, verse twenty. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. And then he goes on. It's the benediction. For Hebrews, and that and that's where we get this view. And of course, Hebrews is all about priesthood and the high priesthood of Christ and the greater priest that Christ is, and he is the great shepherd. Um, uh, he is the head of his uh, his under priests and shepherds. Uh, Jerusalem twenty three. <clears throat> I'm going to read to you verses three through five. God says, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful, fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, 
and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So this, this passage in Jeremiah switches from shepherds to David, who was a shepherd, but then a king, and then he starts talking about the king who will uh, rule in righteousness, and, and uh, not a single sheep will mi- uh, be missing. Uh, the branch, you know, is a word that they use, uh, the Old Testament uses for Christ. Uh, uh, so um, we have, we see in, in Jeremiah God's purpose, you know, of, of, of appointing new shepherds under the, the branch uh, of David, you know, the, the promised son of David. Uh, and then also we can bring in Matthew nine thirty six here, uh, and this is about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he is, he is appointing new shepherds, and this is what we see the great shepherd doing here in chapter 21, which we'll read a little bit of here in just a second. Uh, I would also point out that uh, there is a trilogy of psalms that uh, show Jesus in, in all of his work together. And uh, Psalm 22 shows the suffering servant. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is, this is the work that, that Jesus has just completed, uh, his, the work of the cross. Then uh, in Psalm 24, we see the, uh, the second advent work of Christ. Uh, uh, lift up your gates, uh, uh, or lift up your heads, O ye gates, let the uh, king of, of glory come in. Who is this king of glory? Uh, you know, this is, this is Christ in his second advent return. But then we got Psalm 23, probably the, the most familiar piece of scripture in the world. Uh, uh, the Lord. Well, but including Jews and Muslims, you know, Psalm 23 is, is a much beloved piece of scripture. Oh, really? Muslims honor the Old Testament. So, uh, you know, and that is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is, this is Christ's work right now, the shepherd, the great shepherd of his sheep. Uh, and he sets a table before me. You know, that is a reference to the Eucharist. So uh, what, we're, what we're, we're living in now is the Psalm 23 period of Christ's work. Uh, what I consider uh, to be the kingdom of heaven, or I'm sorry, the kingdom, uh, yeah, the kingdom of heaven, uh, that period of the church age. So, uh, and this is another thing that we can we can see as we go through chapter 21. There's, there's a great Western lore story that I've read about this actor who traveled around just doing Shakespeare or whatever, but solo act. And one, he would always end it with reading Psalm 23. Uh-huh. People applause. I mean, yeah. Fantastic. You know, so, so. But at one particular place, when he got through, another man got up and reread Psalm 23. And everybody, when he got through, everybody was just totally silent. <laughs> and someone said, the first guy knew the song. The second guy knew the Lord of the song. <laughs> 
that's that's the reaction to get. Yeah. Yeah. So, are there any any other thoughts about any of that uh, before we move on? I may be I may be just <clears throat> missing something obvious here, but can you can you connect for me the high priest with the shepherd and sheep? I mean, I see that shepherd and sheep is in this chapter, but under the heading it says high priestly office. I'm just have, I'm trying to connect those two. Well, uh, a shepherd the the priesthood is shepherding shepherding. That's that's one of the roles of the priest. Uh, and there, there's another word we can use that kind of bridges the two, and that's pastor. Uh, it's it's one of the roles of a priest to be uh, the shepherds of the sheep. And in the Old Testament, where God is is uh, criticizing the shepherds, He is talking about the priesthood there, yeah. the, the Aaronic priesthood. So that's okay. the connection. Okay, thank you. Pastor, yeah. All right. Well, I need a reader. For chapter 21, who, who would like to volunteer to do some reading? All right, Nick looks like he was willing uh, to start out by reading uh, verses 1 through 8. Okay. After this, Jesus, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were with him, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Okay, so uh, let's just begin by just looking at the Peter at the uh, people who were named in the boat. We've got Peter who denied Christ. We've got Thomas who doubted his resurrection. We got Nathaniel who said he could be no good. We got the sons of Zebedee who wanted to be elevated, uh, and two others who are not named. Uh, if Peter's there, then Andrew's probably there. So I'm going to guess that one of those disciples was Andrew. But John, but why wouldn't John name them? He's, he's naming these people who have failed. Uh, uh, and this is to a purpose, uh, uh, which we will get to, uh, particularly with Peter. We'll use Peter as our uh, measuring rod. Um, now the story goes back uh, to the, uh, uh, the narrative of, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. Uh, it, goes, it goes back to the narrative of Jesus choosing his first disciples. All of these were named or his first disciples, except for Thomas. And uh, Thomas has already had his kind of spiritual comeuppance uh, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, chapter before, which we just talked about. Uh, 
uh, in that in that uh, you know connection between Thomas about how he won't believe he was talking to those early disciples. So um, anyway, there's there's a, a connection there. Uh, also, there were seven in the boat. Uh, for those of you who are interested in numerology, you know that is the uh, number of perfect completion. Um, and he reconciles uh, with his own. Um, this uh, goes back to what uh, John wrote in uh, back in chapter one, verses eleven through thirteen. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he is reconciling with his own here, um, those who actually did follow him. Uh, okay, so I'll reread five and six for you. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. All right, that's obviously a familiar scenario. This is the same way he revealed himself to Peter and Andrew and John and James uh, at the beginning of the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels. Yes, uh, he is actually in charge of the fish. Um, It's also reminiscent of um, chapter 6, verse 5, which led to the feeding of the 5,000. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So again, it's like, do you have any food? No, we don't out. Don't have any. In both both cases, they didn't have nearly sufficient food. So, and Jesus provides it. Uh, and then the second part uh, of uh, that uh, verse six uh, is again the uh, the uh, uh, the same scenario of casting the the net again at Jesus' command and it coming out full. Uh, so we're we're uh, this is again part of uh, John's kind of semi chiastic uh, 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 structure of of this gospel, where he's got these parallel events at the beginning and at the end. So, uh, any any thoughts about any of that section? <laughs> yes. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Yeah. As opposed to the wrong side. They were casting their net on the wrong side, obviously. Well, yeah. The right hand and the left hand is a that's a symbol throughout all of scripture. Yeah. That's a deep thread that we can Yeah. That's a rapid well, to go down. Yeah. Well and throughout ancient culture as yeah. well. We probably are going to mention this later, so I apologize. But I think your point you made earlier about uh, why he only mentions a few people, it's like a story point. 
Yeah. The names are not mentioned because the names are not necessary. They're, right. So they're archetypes of the human condition. You've got Thomas that doubted. You got Simon that's uh, fearful, and anger is goes side and side with fear, and those are two of the top human uh, responses when we take our eyes off God. As God, where are you? God, why are you doing? You know, anger and fear, um, doubt and fear, and I think that's it's, and that's why he took him out to like on the boat again, saying, "Okay, I need to remind these guys again," you know, because he knows he's about to leave so he's so I think that's the point that their names are not mentioned like their archetypes mm, right like we could just as easily have all that, all, all our names are there if names are mentioned yeah yeah uh, okay let's go on uh, and uh, <clears throat> Nick if you could read uh, verse 11 verse 11 so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish 153 of them, and although there were so many, the nets the net was not torn. Okay, so uh, this is the act of a shepherd. <laughs> what? Uh, John, this is similar to what Jim just said. John tells us exactly how many fish were in that net. Why? Well, he doesn't do things by accident. He 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 uh, has a reason behind it in. Years ago, Walton asked me what I thought the significance of that number was, and I said, I don't know. <laughs> Walton is, you know, as you know, he's, he's heavily into uh, numerology and the meaning of numbers in Scripture, uh, and I think I have a decent answer now. Um, now, but before I, I say it, I have to, you know, uh, the caveat is that Walton does not like addition. He prefers using multiplication to figure things out. And I got a little multiplication, but I also have to have some addition. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure why he thinks that. I don't completely agree. But anyway, 153 is 144 plus 9. Okay, 144 is a fairly prominent number in Revelation. You know, we see that... Uh, in the measurements of the temple and in the numbers that are given for, uh, you know, the, the, the people who are marked as God's people. And it's a, sim- a symbolic number. Uh, and I think uh, the significance of it is that it is 12 squared. It's the 12 tribes of Israel times the 12 apostles. Uh, and as such, it is the number of the church, you know, Jew and Gentile. Uh, the completion of the church, um, you know, the tw- uh, twelve tribes of Israel, obviously Jews, but the apostles then uh, were the vehicle for you know transition into including the inclusion of Gentiles. So, 144 is uh, is uh, the the number of the church plus nine. Nine is the fruit of the spirit. Uh, so it is Jew and Gentile bound together by the Holy Spirit, and this is the total, this is the definition of the church. Uh, so that's what I think uh, it means. And Peter draws these people in, or these fish, <laughs> but he is he is drawing in the church, and not a single one is lost. So again, we can invoke Christ's 
high priestly prayer that none of them has been lost. He never loses. He knows exactly the number of his people, and none of them has ever lost. I don't know the answer, but I know that some believe that it is the number of countries that existed at that time in the world. 153? I believe that's right, yes. Well, I have never heard that. Uh, of course, the nation, the nation state didn't exist at that time. No, I wouldn't say that. Well, yeah, I mean, the nation state developed later on. We had we had city states in Greece. I, I don't know. I'm just but, saying I know some people believe yeah. that. Yeah. I have, I've read that before, too. It was one of the church fathers that was his interpretation. Of oh, really? To, oh, well. It may have been Jerome, maybe. I, okay. I don't remember for sure. He said that this refers to the yeah. nations on earth. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly I'm not, I'm not going to claim that I have the final say in the matter. Um, you said it's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I prefer my way. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's not for everybody. It sounds a lot more cool. Yeah, it's not for everybody. I think the fact that not a fish was lost, it was especially impactful to the fishermen because they started off poor fishermen. They went back to being poor fishermen, and uh, they would repair their nets because they would not have the money to get a brand new net. So they would frequently repair the nets. And I think right. that if it, that hit them on a spiritual level that not a fish was lost, meaning the net did not break. Yeah. Meaning that not only did God bring bring the blessing, God would supply what was needed yeah. to uh, receive the blessing. Yeah. And I think that hit them on a certain level too, because as anybody who's poor and has to make a dollar stretch, I mean, if you get twenty dollars from out of nowhere and you appreciate that blessing more than if you had ten thousand dollars in the bank and someone gives you twenty dollars. Because you see, you see that there's no other way that could have happened aside from God. Yeah, and, and net net repair was a daily part of fishing. Yeah, five is the number of grace. That's what they say, and there's there's not a whole lot of examples of that um, I've run across a few and I can't think of any of them now <laughs> uh, well there are five loaves for, for instance uh, or five fish uh, so yeah that's what five but uh, yeah it's just intriguing yeah I think the very reason that he mentions those numbers is to make people like us all the way into the future going, what did he mean by that? I should study. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that he had a spiritual meaning of it in some way. Uh, and it's, it's for us, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's the glory of God to hide a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. I have a question which is totally different from all of this, but is it only John that calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved? Mm-hmm. Or is that, I'm just sitting as I was reading, that I think if we are in right relationship or something, we might all feel like we are the one that Jesus loves, and that would be a, it's a good feeling. Um, well, some some scholars don't think that John is talking about himself, oh, no. 
but I mean, I think that's generally it's taken because it was a standard thing in writing back then not to refer to yourself. You know, you would refer to yourself as an initial or or in you know, you know a veiled way like this. So I, I'm going to take it as John. Yes. And I've always thought John is very very young amongst all the whole group, and that it's almost like you know we have affection for some of the younger ones amongst us. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've always that's been my impression of the reason he said so much. Could have been in his early twenties when he lived till. Uh, 90 to 95. I think all of his writings are considered to be that late. So, so Okay, so let's let's we got it. We got to hit uh, 15 through 17. So let's go ahead and read that verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Okay, so um, he is uh, restoring Peter to trust here now. And, uh, you know, as a high priest, he's mediating between himself and Peter. And, you know, we can apply this to all the people that were named in the boat. He is, he is covering their failure here. And he's reconciling Peter to himself. And he is setting Peter to his priestly duty. Now, uh, y'all, most of y'all are probably uh, aware of the Greek game going on here. Uh, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you, uh, you know, love me with God's pure love? And Peter replies, Lord, I feel I owe you. I, I have brotherly love for you. Because he is down on himself now. He's, <laughs> he's a new Peter already. He's no longer this brash guy who, who is depending, um, who has all of his trusts in himself. And this is left over from his denial. Uh, and Jesus tells him, tend my sheep. And then he asks him again, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, I feel I owe you. Well, feed my lambs. Uh, Peter, do you phileo me? And this is what makes Peter sad, that he is now brought, he's, he is, Jesus is persisting, and now he has brought it down to Peter's level. And, and Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Uh, you know, he's a broken man here. But again, Jesus says, tend my sheep. So... Um, and this is what we see Peter do in the book of Acts. Peter, Peter is there, obviously, on Pentecost. And he is the priest to the Jews who killed Christ. You know, they hear his sermon and say, what can we do? And he says, well, just believe in Christ and you will be saved. You know, he is tending the sheep there. 
And then again, when the Samaritans uh, start to receive the Holy Spirit, Peter is there. So he is the priest there for the Samaritans, uh, reconciling them, mediating them between them and Christ. And then again with uh, Gentiles. Peter is the one that God, that God puts in place to open the door to Gentiles uh, you know, with this vision before Cornelius arrives at his house. Uh, so uh, Peter is fulfilling this tending the sheep even then. And it, and it extended to all the disciples. You know, Peter, Peter is, you know, he's, he's kind of the whipping boy here. He's, he's the, uh, the guy that Jesus has singled out. But it extends to all the apostles and it extends to us. We, we should be, this is his charge to us too, to tend his sheep. Uh, it was Philio and Philio. Jesus, Jesus took it. Right. The the third time Jesus asked him, "Do you Philio me?" He he condescended to Peter. You know, and and in a way he does this in other places in Scripture. You know, in the Gospel he says, "You are to love your enemies." But then you get to John's letters, and the command at that point is just love each other. You know, see if you can't do that. You know, so he he condescends to our weakness. He meets us where we are. Uh, well, I'll read you a passage out of Exodus. This is nineteen verses five through six. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this is what the church has inherited. We are to be a kingdom of priests. Priests, priests, pastors, shepherds, under our chief priest, pastor, and shepherd. Um, I'll read you, uh, or... or uh, Nick, can you read uh, verses 18 through 22? 19 through 22? 18. 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who had been reclining at the table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Okay, so we turn uh, uh, to a little bit of cryptic language about the uh, the future. And Peter's interested in the future, not only for himself, but also for John. Uh, but what what is Jesus' answer to his questions? Follow me is, is is the only thing that he needs to be worried about is follow him, follow him like a shepherd. So uh, th- this you know again as we try to figure out prophecy and uh, you know worry about the future or wonder about things, really the business we are to be about is to follow him. Uh, so, uh, now when he is talking about his return, uh, 
there in 22, if I will that he remain until I come. This is his last little hint within John's gospel about his ascension. Uh, and of course, his ascension to the Father is really the beginning of his return. It's, it's the waiting period. It starts off the waiting period when we are separated from him. Uh, but uh, it, is a, uh, it, it is capped off by his promise of his return. Um, and uh, so he is, he is going into his glory. He is finishing out the gospel, talking about going to his glory, just as he began the gospel in his glory. You know, in the beginning was the word, was the logos, and the logos was God, and the logos was with God. Or I may have that back flipped. <laughs> uh, so uh, John is bringing him back in the epilogue to his glorified state, just as he began in the prologue. Um, and this this then brings uh, John's gospel full circle, uh, and that's where we're ending. So, any any thoughts or questions or comments? Uh, you know, to close it out. When I was reading, oh, um, I don't want to... Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I remember reading a book. I can't remember who wrote it, but it basically said that God wasn't giving us a compliment when he called us sheep. And my family used to raise sheep, and they're some of the dumbest, dirtiest animals on the face of the planet. And the fact that, you know, I think God is trying to tell us that we never outgrow our need for the shepherd. Uh-huh. And that shows his patience for us as well, that even that we're dumb... We constantly get in trouble. We get filthy. We get dirty. He still loves us and doesn't give up on us. Mm-hmm. Because the human thing would just be get rid of the dumb animal. Yeah. You know, if they do nothing but cause trouble and getting, you know, but it's like that video where the they pull the sheep out of the crevice in Australia and the sheep bounds away and yeah, falls into the right crevice. Right back into the crevice. Yeah, it's the same thing. And that and um, and like Thomas and. Peter, people say, well, Thomas's faith was weak. That's why he doubted her. Peter had anger issues. That's why he's like, no, no, no. We all got that. Every one of the weaknesses of the disciples, we've gotten those because we are humans just like they are. Yeah. And yet God still stays with us. Yeah. The other thing, though, about sheep is that they are valuable. Yeah. They are a renewable resource. Yeah. You know? um, they get shorn every year. Uh, so they are very valuable to the shepherd. And the shepherd will, you know, go out and fight bears and wolves to save one. Uh, what you had something, Connor? I think I may have something you could add to your sheet here. Okay. Um, so, for the, I've never seen this before, but reading this, I'm, I'm seeing this as a repeat of the burning bush story. So Peter, Peter, who is a who is called to be a shepherd, right? That's what Moses was. Right encounters Christ at a fire. Huh, well that's and, interesting. <laughs> um, and there's a series Christ is there's a series of three uh, like three uh, like arguments or complaints. You know, Moses sort of is very hesitant to accept God's call, right? And if I remember correctly it's three times. Really? Uh, and I could okay. be wrong with that. Um, but God calls Moses to be the shepherd and his people. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll double check um, that. That's interesting. So this, I mean, your whole part of your whole thing with this is tying it to the Passover and the Exodus story, mm-hmm. like the story of the Exodus. 
Yeah. Right. Well, now here at the end of the book, we've gone back to the Burning Bush story, um, where God is going to make His people out of Peter, the same way that right. He made Israel out of Moses, um, and uh, it goes back to Moses and the law and just the story of redemption. Right. Itself all over well, the, and you know the whole shepherd thing, Moses transitioning from shepherding sheep to shepherding people. <laughs> Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I'll look I'll look into that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's a, he's a man of weakness, right? And that's what that that's that's how Peter is in this. Yeah. Well, and it's after a failure too. You know, Moses' attempt at taking you know taking the the salvation of Israel upon himself forty years earlier. Early name Simon. Mm-hmm. He's called him Simon, but I had not thought about it before. But John says Peter was Greek, and so when John was writing this gospel, you know, his audience in view, which I guess is about the history, he's making, you know, making sure that we know it's you know, Peter. Mm-hmm. He's calling Peter. Yeah. In contrast to uh, Jesus, he calls him Simon. Yeah. I Peter. Think in one Peter, place Peter says Simon Peter. But, right. Yeah, Peter has three names in Scripture. It's hard to keep up with them. All right. Thank you. Any others? Okay, well, thanks for sitting through this. I believe Walton is supposed to be starting up with Isaiah next Sunday. So that'll be great. Uh, So let's go prepare to worship.